Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Sunday, uh, which means I'm not in Ashburn for the first time uh, in uh, three and four days. Uh, the NFL draft is over in the books, seven rounds. The Washington Commanders drafted seven players, including cornerback Emmanuel Forbes in the first round. Uh, I discussed the Forbes uh, situation and just sort of where Washington was in the draft after day one with Chris Russell. So you can go check that out on this episode, a little bit of a deeper dive into what Washington did here and answered some of your questions that I asked on Twitter with our friend, Mark Bullock at Mark Bullock NFL on Twitter. And of course, uh, Mark and I discussed his view on Forbes. Of course, Mark is a noted uh, commander's film analyst. So got his view on what he thinks of Forbes as well as, Quan Martin, the safety from Illinois that they took in the second round. What what do we think this means for the secondary in terms of personnel, in terms of usage? Uh, you know, could there be other roster changes? We also discussed the two offensive linemen picked in rounds three and four. That is center Ricky Stromberg and guard tackle Braden Daniels. What is what's the forecast for them? What about the left guard spot? Did they do enough to address that position? Uh, could there be, you know, what's the likely salary cap uh, cut impact from all these choices? We got into some of that. Also discussed linebacker, as in they didn't draft one. Do we we think that's a concern? And hit on a bunch of other topics as well. So we'll get to that here in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere. You do your podcasting um, on the website this week. I, I don't even know how many articles I ended up writing, but the athletic, this is where the athletic really gets their money's worth out of us. <laughs> they have us writing a ton of stuff for the draft because people love the draft. So I, I think I basically wrote like two articles each day of the draft, including a final sort of overview of what they did or more kind of like what I, what the, what the team did from a, um, attacking certain areas and not attacking other areas angle. So check all that out. I believe there is a dollar 99 a month offer on the site. So just go click on one of my articles and you can check all that out. And um, we'll have plenty of more draft coverage this week as well. Um, I, look, I think that, in, and this is sort of my basic theme that it was in my uh, last article. Needless to say, I don't think I have to say it, but I will just to say it. We won't know for sure for a couple of years, two, three, four years, before how we can assess this draft class, right? They're going to have to actually play games. Emmanuel Forbes might be a pro bowler. He might be a bust. Seems seems like a pretty good player, especially with a really good pass coverage and skills and instincts. Time will tell, and that's going to be applicable across down the line. And there is the, here, of course, we have this ownership situation that's sort of hanging over it. No, I don't think ownership, by the way, played any role in anything that happens weekend uh, in terms of the picks. Uh, somebody asked me what, about that on, on, um, on uh, Twitter, but I don't think that had anything to do with that, but we'll talk more about that as we get some more information about the ownership, hopefully here in the next few days. I did. And I don't want to step on too much else because Mark and I get into it and I'll have some other guests this week to get into that. But I did want to say one thing here, and this has been bugging me for a while, but I, I just wanted to say this now because you know, this is now the fourth year we've had with Ron Rivera. So this is the fourth draft that he's conducted or that his group has conducted. And 
one term that's very popular in the Ron Rivera era came up again a bunch this weekend. That is, wait for it. Well, it's actually, it's not one word. It's a term. Position flexibility. These guys love position flexibility. They love players that can play multiple spots. It's why, like, as much as, like, and I was doing this myself, as much as mentioned guys like Florida guard Osiris Torrance, who went in the second round, or Ohio State tackled Dewan Jones, who I want to say fell to the fourth round, as much as they seemed like very interesting prospects, they may not have ultimately been the best fits here because they are both sort of one-position players. We'll see what happens with them, just like all these other prospects. At some point, though, I get kind of over this, like, just pick a player who can actually play the position. Like, it's great that Ricky Stromberg can play center and guard. Just, can he play center? If that's where you're viewing him, can he do that? Braden Daniels can play guard and tackle. Okay, but is he good at any one of those things? At some point, it just feels like, and the same thing applies in the secondary, right? Emmanuel Forbes is a cornerback, flat out. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, but like Juan Martin he can play nickelback. He can play safety, deep safety. That was another aspect there. I I, I kind of want to bury the term position flexibility. I mean, it's good to note when we talk about like the depth chart, how many guys can play center on this team, right? How many guys can play the, the nickel slot if Quan Martin is slow to adjust to the NFL or just, you know, is not performing a, 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 at a good enough clip when he starts his career some point just get somebody who can play the play and and like I, I i'm not saying it's jump the shark but i am saying i like when i look at the offensive line you know they certainly have a credible group right with if we're assuming right now charles leno at left tackle mark and i discussed the left guard competition i'll leave that for there but there's a few options center nick gates is the likely starter right guard sam cosme right tackle andrew wiley and i'm sure if we Ask Rivera right now, hey, what do you think about that? Position flex is mentioned all the time. Because other than Leno, all those other likely starters can play multiple spots. But are they good? Is it a good line? I, I don't, I don't, I think it's okay. I don't know that it's like fantastic. And I'm not saying that if you had just taken a, this guy plays guard, this guy plays tackle player, that we would be saying they've solved all their problems. I'm just, it's like a personal pet peeve at this point for me just on the oh i'm over the position flexibility it's good to have it it's good to note it it shouldn't be the main priority and sometimes it feels like that is at the expense of somebody who just might be a lock to play that spot brandon sure if we can debate whether he was overrated or overpaid or whatever the dude was good they won games when he was on the field and he was a guard i know he entered the league as a tackle for 10 seconds but he was a guard that's fine you know what I mean? Like Charles Leno is a totally reasonable tackle. I think they need to start looking, figure out how to upgrade that position long-term. He's a tackle. It's fine. Trent Williams does a tackle. I know that's a, an extreme example. I'm just saying technically Trent played guard. I know. I know. For for like a minute with when Ty and Zeki was having to play outside. That's all. I, I Like, I just like, I'm not going to, I guess what I'm saying is for me, I'm not going to give them props for position flexibility anymore the way maybe I did. It's good to have it. And if somebody were to get hurt, you got to know you have options. Just get players that can play. We'll see if they have done that. I mean, they may, independent of position flexibility, they may have improved their offensive line. 
with Wiley, with Gates, with drafting these two kids in, in this draft. Same thing with the secondary, with Martin. All good. Just get people to comply. That's my rant. Okay, enough of that. Uh, other than that, it was a fun weekend. Enjoyed my time out there with my colleagues. Um, you know, we'll have plenty more to discuss. And of course, you can go read everything on The Athletic. By the way, uh, this is a one little be- bit of news. With regards to the offensive line coach opening that many of you asked about, because they uh, re- moved on from John Matsko at the start of free agency, it will be Travell Wharton, the assistant offensive line coach. Rivera said, though, it's one it's sort of an administrative deal that they kind of have to wait till the ownership situation is settled. I guess it's we're talking about money and pos- raises and position title changes and some other things. So we're going to have to wait on that, uh, apparently. But Travell Wharton is the answer to the question of who will be the offensive line coach. Um, so I know that was a question. It was for me and, and the other writers as well. But now we have an answer from Rivera himself. Um, last thing I'll just say before we get to Mark, I haven't looked at too many of the draft grades out there. Washington is going to stink. They are not going to be winners in this draft class. That doesn't mean anything. And I'm not, I'm not saying that because of the standard, oh, you got to wait three or four years. What I am saying is that it is, this is, I think, a good example of the preconceived notion that people have on the outside. And if the team does not meet their ideas of what they should have done, they will be viewed as a loser. And of course, to an extent, there's some truth to that, but it's in this instance, it's from a false belief. So for example, everybody kept saying they needed to get a quarterback. Well, I mean, they've made it very clear. They like Sam Howe. They signed Jacoby Brissett, who was more or less the number one, stopgap, backup, spot starter, quarterback out there. And we can sit here and say, boy, that wasn't enough. Well, what else were they going to do in this draft, for example? Did you want them to trade all the way up? The three quarterbacks went the first four picks. That would have been impossibly expensive. And also the Texans who took C.J. Stroud second and the Colts who took Anthony Richardson fourth, they weren't moving out of that. Uh, and then you had Will Levis and, and fall to the second round and Hendon Hooker fall to the third round. I mean, Will Levis is a polarizing prospect to a degree. Did you want them to take him at 16? I assume no. Did you want them to trade up to 30 to, uh, to earlier in the first, in the second round to get him? What What is that doing for you? If you're not sold that Will Levis is the answer, which you clearly are not, otherwise you would have picked him at 16, then what do you, you know, what's, what are you doing? Is he going to compete for the starting job? Probably not. I mean, he would if he was in, here in theory, but I don't know he's beating out Sam Howell initially. Certainly isn't going to beat out Jacoby Brissett just based on Brissett's experience. They're giving Howell the inside track to get that job, but like in a general head-to-head competition, no favorites, you know, Brissett's likely going to win, and he also still may be the week one quarterback in my eye. So, And then Hendon Hooker going to the third. He's a 25-year-old coming off a knee injury. He wasn't playing this year. And as we know, Ron Rivera, they've got to focus on this year. Um, they've got to focus on this year to get this done, or he's probably out of a job, you would think, with a new owner coming in. And and by the way, you know what I you know what Ron Rivera, if he's being nice about this, doesn't want to do? If he thinks in his head, I'm not saying he does, but if he thinks in his head that they are going that he this may be it, he's being nice to the next coach by not saddling him with a quarterback he didn't pick. 
you know, rest in peace to Dwayne Haskins. But the Rivera era got off to a rough start because he inherited a quarterback that was already a controversial, polarizing pick that he kind of had to see through because he spent the first round pick, the ownership wanted him, all that stuff. If there is a new coach, that coach is going to have a chance to be, the slate is, is free. I mean, maybe Sam Howell emerges. But other than that, they'll be able to come in and do what they want. And I think that's what you would want versus taking some guy as a backup who is likely not going to play this year. Whereas like the player they took in the second round, Quan Martin, he's going to play. I, I don't know if he's going to start. I don't know how much he's going to play, but he will be on the field contributing. So I, I think that is more valuable. But anyway, to my point of the, the draft grades, too many people out there just think, oh, they, they're going to take quarterback or they should and people are slamming Washington for this again it's different than saying how and Brissett solve their problem but you got to be realistic and also understand what the team is saying they want to do same thing happened with tight end people could give them Dalton Kincaid all they want at 16 in the draft but there was no indication that Washington was going to take a tight end and they have some young guys they hope develop I'm not saying that's right I'm saying this is an actual plan it's not like being blind and they're not being naive, but they actually have some thoughts and some hope, and they're going to play this out. But the 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 draft community is surely not going to like what Washington did. They they might like an an isolated player or or, or two, um, but I, I I they're they're not going to like their draft class. Um, if you're wondering if I like their draft class, thanks for asking. I I like the fact that they address the needs that they had. Mark and I will talk about this in more depth. You know, the obvious needs that we've all discussed this whole time. Whether the players are good, well, that time will will tell on that. They recognize what they needed, though. There weren't any really weird picks. You know, they didn't add another wide receiver, God forbid, a defensive tackle. Um, they went where they needed to go, even going so far as to take two edge rushers when there may be only a roster spot for one, but, you know, I'm sure they have a thought as to, Maybe their seventh round pick, Andre Jones, can play be on their linebacker depth chart. We'll see about that. Um, so I liked it from that perspective. I've talked myself in more and more to Forbes, Emmanuel Forbes. I get the 166 pound thing is uh is a wonder. And we'll see, you know, of course, over time how he holds up. Can he bulk up? But uh, you know, um as a ball hawk, boy, he really is, you know, the more tape I've gotten to watch or just talk to people. A lot of, uh, you know, people outside of this team, really big fans of his coverage abilities and his instincts. Physically, can he hold up? Obviously, this is the the, the debate we'll, we'll be having uh, for some time. Uh, we'll see about that. So, you know, I, I think they did a, a reasonably solid job. It wasn't flashy. I think positionally, as I said, they, they, they addressed the areas they needed to. And the rest of it, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see over time whether these players – um, did a good job, you know, are, are worthy of those picks or not. But I, I think Forbes is fascinating, and we'll see how they use him. Mark and I get into that. Uh, other than that, look, uh, it's been a fun three days. I appreciate those of you who were engaged with me uh, on Twitter at Ben Standig or in the comment section of The Athletic. It's always fun chatting draft. I'm going to miss uh, <laughs> going to miss the, the 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 mock drafting predictions. Oh, speaking of which. Uh, people kindly uh, asked me how I, how did I do with my mock draft this year? How did I do in the contest? 
that run by the Huddle Report, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I am still a three-time champion on the Huddle Report, but I did not add to that. Um, I did not add to that number. My mock draft was okay. It wasn't up to snuff for my standard, largely in terms of the number of players I had accurate in the first round, a little bit lower than I would typically like. I've said during this process that this is becomes an eye of the beholder draft more so than other years, considering there's not a lot of love for the top end talent. And therefore, if nobody is, if there's no consensus on, wow, these players are just, you know, blue chippers, blah, blah, blah. Then it starts, you know, the, the gap between whoever's picked 20 and the gap between who's picked 50. It's just, almost flipping a coin what position do you need what you know what flavor do you like the best and going from there so it fell a little bit off there that said um out of uh i don't have the number in front of me but like out of you can look it up on the huddle report but it was you know over 100 people participated including a lot of national names you'll know and i was still around like in the 30s so uh and i think i had the seventh overall average uh over the last five years so still all right you know Wish I had uh, stuck with my guns on a few things like, uh, you know, didn't think any of the receivers would go in the top 20, but I ended up sticking Smith and Jigba at 13 to Green Bay instead of leaving him at 20 to the Packers. And even even the Emmanuel Forbes pick, you know, I, I talked about him here. I, I, you know, I'm not trying to tout myself, but that to me was like, I think I was like the first one, certainly locally, to bring that to bring him up as a possibility last week, both here and on uh, the website. And if I had in my mock put Darnell Wright off the board, he obviously went 10 to the Bears. If I had put him off the board along with the other linemen, I would have then defaulted to Forbes. But, you know, that's how it goes. So what are you going to do? Uh, but it's a fun process. I enjoyed it. I appreciate the fact that people give a crap about my uh, about my mock drafts. Uh, nice indeed. And we'll have plenty more to discuss about now that the draft is over about the depth chart, they're adding UDFA uh, players. Now, nothing has been official. I did tweet out uh, a few of the names that I've heard uh, that they're uh, adding, including a really interesting UCLA wide receiver slash returner, but none of these are official. And the UDFA signs are kind of, it's like the wild, wild West out there. You may agree to somebody, but other teams are jumping in and offering these guys money. So until the list is official, it's not official, but um, some interesting names there will surely emerge as well. All right, more to discuss as we go through uh, this week. But right now, our favorite uh, British Commanders film breakdown guy, Mark Bullock, joins me here on the Standard Group Only podcast. All right, joining me here as promised to uh, help... Uh, Put some uh, context in with the draft picks the Washington Commanders made. He is, of course, um, the go-to film guy in town when it all comes to all things Commanders, even if he lives very far away from town. And, of course, you know who I'm talking about. Everybody's favorite podcast guest, including mine, <laughs> Mark Bullock. Mark, it's been a minute since we've talked. How uh, how are you doing post-draft? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Um a little bit tired. Uh, I, I I normally kind of am on American time for this, but we've been, I've been dealing with stuff on, on on my side of the pond for the last few weeks, and I've been on British time, and 
now the last week or so i've had to try to transfer to uh us time so it's uh it's been a long weekend but uh doing all right hanging in there i i feel you on adjusting to the time i mean i'm i'm historically a night owl but that's like this sort of chilling on the couch watch you know binge watching some show not writing until like you know one in the morning uh again no complaining but just just to the nature of the draft and how things go and yeah you know day three is fun but it's a long day and it's kind of boring i mean you know you're just sitting there waiting for for pick and but but anyway we get there they have a draft class excited to discuss all that with you and no doubt you're gonna have a bunch of uh uh cut-ups and thoughts about all these prospects and i'm sure you already have something up uh with a a manual forbes um let let me get let me start though at the beginning the draft is begin is gonna start um we know at that point they have eight picks. They obviously made one trade and ended up with making seven in total. As they're sitting there, whether it's at 16 or overall, what were your hopes and dreams like for you, regardless of what anybody wanted? Like for you, what was the thing you thought they needed to sort of come out of this draft with either, you know, player or, you know, broadly of the class? Yeah, I think um, like kind of overall you wanted to address the the two major needs which were like offensive line depth and and defensive back depth and i and i think in general you could say they did that now whether they did that uh in the order that people wanted not necessarily but um uh, in specifically looking at the 16th pick I, ideally you would like to have traded back from that acquired more picks and 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 still find a guy like forbes that they quite clearly loved um find him maybe five, 10 picks later on. Um, and then you're, you're feeling like you've got a lot more value out of that pick than, than taking him at 16. But um, yeah, I, I think that for me, the the main two objectives that the commander should have wanted to come out of this draft with was, was finding some, some depth in the secondary and, and finding some help along the offensive line. And uh, I, I guess they would have, they would argue that you know first four picks were two were in the secondary and two were on the offensive line, so they'd feel like that's what they achieved. Um, whether those guys are exactly what they hope they'll be, or or whether they'll be able to all contribute right away, um, we can debate that. But um, I think loosely you could say they they kind of achieved roughly what they wanted to do. You know, it's funny. Like what was unusual about their draft, so they ultimately make seven picks because they made a sent two picks to the Bills to move up in the fifth round to take uh, KJ Henry, the edge rusher from Clemson, is that they make the seven picks. And other than the running back, Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky, it was like Noah's Ark. It was a pair of all the other needs. I mean, I'm lumping in the defensive backs, but essentially Quan Martin is more nickelback than safety, basically the way they're saying it. And by the way, every time I say nickelback, I keep thinking of the band. So it's very confusing. (laughs) Like in this regard, um, so there are two defensive backs, then there's two offensive linemen, um, and then you have in day three you get two edge rushers, basically Andre Jones from Louisiana being the other one. So it's and, and like for me, like those I think were the three probably top needs. The O line and, and defensive backs, as you stated, were kind of more obvious. The edge rusher, we've discussed that a lot here because of the fact that they don't all, all their top guys are all free agents after the end of the year. And now you've got the chase young, not picking up the option aspect. 
I wasn't necessarily expecting him to pick up to, to take two of those guys, but then the shock of Tony year long suspension maybe factors into that as well. So it was interesting that he just went like, we, we have these issues and we're going to, we're going to send a lot of assets to address them. Um, my biggest thing is always when you make these picks, especially in the later rounds, is there a path to make the roster? I think the answer is yes. I'll be curious to see about the second edge rusher, but that aside, I think there is a path for that. So I think they were very, they recognized the same thing. I think the rest of us did of what their needs were. I know somebody might say, Hey, what about linebacker? Well, if they weren't going to take a linebacker in the first couple of rounds, then everybody else is probably not going to make a massive difference. And we can debate, you know, whether, what they need, but like, you know, maybe Khalid Hudson does more this year or whatever. Um, or some of their other younger guys, maybe they step up. Tight end, look, they told us the whole time they like the the guys they have, including Curtis Hodges, who was out all year. So that's not a surprise that they didn't do that. I guess I'm a little, not maybe not surprised, but the quarterback in a situation they didn't draft one on day three in a year in which they set a record for the most quarterbacks picked through five rounds. They don't come away with one. I just always think you attack, you know, always try to attack the problem until you have, until you solve it. And obviously, we can say Sam Howell be good or not, but they're not there yet. So I think in general, I appreciate the fact that they recognize their issues were in line with the outside opinions, or at least my outside opinion. Like you said, whether the prospects are good, turn pan out, that is a whole other, um, a whole other story. But at least I respect the fact that they they didn't play too many games. It's kind of a boring draft, but they went for what the what were their holes or where they needed more depth, and they at least did that much. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd probably agree with that. I think um, we're, I think you could logically justify most of the decisions they made. Like, at tight end, once they decided that Logan Thomas was going to come back, and then that was kind of a thing that, you know, they've been kind of talking, like, at the end of the season, it felt like he was definitely going to be a, a ca- casualty, and then... Mayhew and Rivera have basically been saying we really liked how he came on at the end of the year and, and he's going to be that guy then if, if he's your tight end one and you're paying him in that way then you're not drafting a tight end to replace him early um, then you've got a bunch of guys that are kind of athletic freaks that are intriguing and, and guys like Cole Turner and, and uh, Hodges and um, Rogers. Rogers yeah yeah and then, then obviously you've got John Bates in that equation as well. So there isn't really room for another tight end if you're not going for uh, like a first round or a second round guy that you think is going to be number one. So I, I understood why they didn't go down the kind of tight end route. Um, I, I quarterback thing like I, they weren't ever going to take one on, on day one or day two. I don't think. Like I understand there was the links to Hendon Hooker that they brought in, but. When all, you think about the, all the this. early round, sorry, all the early round QB talk was so annoying mm. because, you know, here's the thing with the mock draft world is that, you know, when people do mock drafts, it isn't, they're not always making the pick for what the team needs. They're doing it because they think this player should be picked in the first round and they need to put him somewhere. So what, what team is it? Am I just going to do it? Everybody just kept saying Washington because they didn't believe that Rivera believed in Sam Howe that it was all some card game that he was trying to fool everybody. I'm like, no, I mean, right or wrong, that they're going with that plan with Howe and Brissett. Don't even get me started on all the Lamar Jackson nonsense about the, what that how that was, you know, get, being pushed on them. But anyway, 
Um, it was also the same with like the B. John Robinson thing that they kept getting associated for no reason. Like that he had to go somewhere, so why not go to them? Anyway, continue. Yeah. So um, no, I agree with you. Like it, it didn't really make sense for them. One, it was pretty clear that Sam Howell was the guy they were going to go with, rightly or wrongly. That's that's what they were going to do. Um, and and so if they weren't going to take a quarterback early, um, this front office and this regime basically has a year to prove themselves to a new owner. Um, you're not going to do that with a like a, a, a third quarterback that sits as a backup on your roster the whole year isn't isn't going to help you prove that to, that you're you're it's not going to help you win games this year. Um, so it's not going to help you keep a job for a new owner next year. So for me, unless they really like the guy out of Stanford because they have the Stanford. Uh, offensive coordinator is now their quarterback coach. Uh, the fact they didn't take him says they didn't love him that much. So um, I, I I thought quarterback was unlikely. Um, and so yeah, I, I think that that kind of the the guys that they picked, or at least the the positions that they picked. Um, you talked about having a path to the roster, like yeah, the, the defensive ends or the edge rushers. They, I actually think that. Washington does have a pretty nice group of defensive ends with with the guys they brought back. It's just as you say, they've got nobody under contract beyond this year, so they they do need to have that addressed. So um, it, it made total sense that they they grabbed a couple of those guys as well. They did. All right. So um, I threw out uh, before we started this on Twitter. I asked people for some questions. We got some, and, and we'll get to them some of these in a minute. But I want to start with the first round pick. Obviously, you've, you've looked at him. I, I don't know how much you were looking at Forbes in the it, pre-draft. It was a sort of a late surge to, to that he became connected here. I wrote about him last Monday. It was like the weekend before that when I started getting some heads up of like, hey, this is the guy that um, you maybe, you know, keep an eye on for Washington. Which And the funny thing is for me, like when I was doing the mock drafts, you know, I typically was having Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee, or whichever one of the foreign linemen – that went at the early, whichever one that was going to fall. Because for at least for me, this is maybe the one thing I was sort of imposing on the situation was I think they got to get more upside talent on the line. But okay, but all those guys were gone, and then when if any any scenario in which I was like, okay, now if I'm taking a corner without trading down, who am I picking? I didn't like anybody. I Joey Porter never had any vibes that he would be here, and I know Deontay Banks was a popular name, but in talking to some people pre-draft. I mean, look, I think people thought he was a first-round pick, but, like, 16, that area felt early. Early is always such a weird notion. It's not like Washington also had a pick in the 20s. They have the one pick. They have to pick somebody. So, anyway. But then when Forbes started to be become a thing, it was like, okay, this kind of makes more sense. And then especially with the fact that as good as the defense was last year, not great at creating turnovers or or, or having enough playmakers, that the, the winning stretch in the middle of the year – a lot of that, I think, had to do with Derek Forrest was getting turnovers, and Benjamin St. Juice wasn't always necessarily getting the interception, but was, you know, on the on the cusp constantly. But they didn't have enough of that over the course of the year, and I think, you know, that that played some factor in the up and down kind of nature. So, all that said, Emmanuel Forbes, do you, what what what's your initial thought on the fit with what they uh, try to do here? Yeah, I, I really like Forbes as a player and I really like the fit with the team. And I think they, they kind of learned from their mistake with William Jackson where they really liked Jackson's skill set as a press man corner. And they thought that he had some traits that could work in their kind of zone match scheme. Um, and it obviously didn't work out. Um, so now they've gone for Forbes who um, 
is much more of his own corner, um, has terrific instincts. Um, he's got really good ball skills, um, which, as you mentioned, that being able to take the ball away is is obviously something they they really targeted. Um, and he has the kind of ability to play off with vision, kind of like how Kendall Fuller does, but he, he processes information really quickly. He's a better athlete than, than Fuller is, and, and he's able to kind of break on stuff underneath really quickly and, and, and test catches, um, and he can match routes down the field. Um, so he, I, I really liked him as a corner. I, I think the real question is obviously the the size, or not necessarily the size, but the the weight um, being 166 pounds, whatever it is, that that is small for a corner. And you only really have to think about in Washington, they've got two running backs that are, what, 220, 230 pounds in, in Ryan Robinson and Antonio Gibson. He's surrendering 50 pounds to those guys. Um, and, like, he's a really willing tackler, and he will go and throw his body, and he, he's proven in college he can be durable, and that's what they all, they obviously pointed to, was that he never missed any time, and, and to his credit, he didn't. But he wasn't always facing running backs like that, which, which will be common in the NFL. So is he going to be able to consistently come up and challenge guys on the edge and, and, and make tackles? We'll have to wait and see, but you know, college teams definitely saw that as a, as a matchup that they could go to and, and almost every run was in his direction, whichever side of the field he lined up on most runs were run to him. If they were outside run plays, if they were in between the tackles, it didn't matter so much, but if, if it was a run that was looking to attack the perimeter, then it was going towards him to make him try to fit up and, and make tackles. So I think that's the question you're going to have with him. And on I, I've put out on Twitter, I've, I've put out an article on him already. I've talked about how he's a, he's a very much a willing tackler. He's he's happy to go in and play physical. Um, it's just a case of is is 166 pounds enough to be able to make tackles consistently on backs that are 220 pounds, 230 pounds, and and you know well, time will tell. And and he could bulk up. But um, overall, I do I do really like the player, and I think he's a really really good fit for what they do schematically. You know, we talked to Fred Smoot here on the podcast uh, a couple few days before the draft, and Fred was out at um, the park on uh, I guess it was Friday when Forbes was introduced, and um, he in both instances talked. I mean, he really likes the guy. I think I'm sure there's a little bit of Mississippi State bias there, but regardless. He likes the guy, and in terms of the weight, he just kept pointing out, look, I was like 172 when I showed up here, you know, when he got drafted by Washington way back when. I don't know if it's a different era thing. I mean, back then, running was even more pronounced than it is in this passing ha- pass-happy era, but he said, look, it's it's an overrated component. Uh, we will see about that. It's, But, you know, I think that, you know, and again, this notion of being overdrafted, you know, Mel Kuyper had him as the 17th rated prospect overall. McShay was pretty high on him. You listen to a lot of people talk about Forbes and, I mean, the coverage skills. Like, It's not like I mean, people are enthralled by watching his pass coverage ability. The size, we'll see. Um, but I, I guess I would just en- encourage people to not view this as an overdraft again if they could have traded down maybe that would have been a better thing to do but right i'm thinking i think i'm right the whole last three days have been a blur but i don't think anybody traded between after this i mean the steelers traded up from 17 but they weren't taking a corner anyway and then every and they were you know they couldn't have gotten the guy that they wanted just to go to washington spot 
And then there was no other trades, I think, until the Jags at 24. Sounds about right. So, like, and, and that was, like, there was this clump of, like, uh, uh, so the Giants took Deontay Banks at that point. So they're really... There was nothing else that happened in there. So maybe those teams ultimately didn't want to do anything. And, you know, Seattle got the receiver a lot of people pegged them with. The Chargers, the Ravens, the Vikings all took receivers that seemed to likely go off the board in that range. So I think that um, there just may not have just been the opportunity to do that, even if they had wanted uh, to do that. Um, Look, I think he's a pretty fascinating player. Uh, Eric Stokes, the uh, director of player personnel, spoke to us afterwards, and he said he – he, he must have watched. He watched all of Forbes' tape throughout college. That the the pick six against Kentucky. I tweeted out a video of that if you haven't seen it. And just his instincts to read, ironically, Will Levis on that play were were, were really spectacular. So I, I think he is a fascinating player, and he seems like a pretty smart kid. When we talk to him, I mean, who's to say? But like, there's a lot to like there, and, and even in terms of the size. Yeah, trust me. One sixty six team is incredibly light, and if he'd played in almost any other conference in college, I'd been like, oh boy. But he's playing in the SEC, and obviously, you know, those are the best players in in college football, more or less. So it's not like he, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not the NFL, but it's close. <laughs> you know, or you know, I mean, you know, it's not close, but it's closer than anything else is going to be on a college level. So the fact that he was able to hold up there. I think says something either about, you know, his will, his body and, and things like that, but he's going to have to get bigger and they'll have to figure out what to do there. Uh, the immediate other question for me though, is, is how does this fit with their other pieces? Like one reason I remember I was liking like <clears throat> Cam Smith, the cornerback from South Carolina a lot as like a second, second round pick was that it seemed he was pretty adept at playing zone. One reason I like DJ Turner, another second round pick was, he was. It looked like he was a pretty good guy that you could use in the slot. Brian Branch, sort of the same thing. Um, and that's the question now. This guy is like exclusively an outside cornerback in college, and we know that Kendall Fuller and Benjamin St. Goose were on the outside. I I don't know what to make of what's going to happen, but you tell me. Uh, what What do you think is, you know, what what do you think is the the most likely scenario now with regards to these uh, cornerbacks? Yeah, I thought uh, after Friday or Thursday night, I thought the the likelihood was probably Fuller and Forbes on the outside, and maybe they try St. Juice back in the slot again, like they did at the start of last year, um, which they only turned away from once William Jackson was terrible on the outside, and and they they couldn't stick with that anymore. So I I wondered whether that was going to be an option, and and maybe it still is. Um, I think with the second round pick, I think that's probably going to be the the option in the in the nickel, um, and and we'll come on to that, I'm sure. But um, in terms of the corners that they have, I think um, Forbes, obviously they they'll do the whole like he's got to earn his starting position stuff, but he will most likely start at one corner spot, and then I think Fuller and St. Juice will have to compete for the other one, and I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I I think Fuller would probably win that job for me right now um, out of those two. Um, but St. Juice, you know, is, is a is a promising young talent and, and it's definitely not the end of the world if you have to have one of those three guys on the bench um, because as we saw last year when when St. Juice went down, it was Fuller and nobody else. So um, adding depth there was, was definitely something they needed and I don't think either one of Fuller or St. Juice is so good that you can say, we can't bench one of these guys. And, and so... 
Um, certainly, like I'm sure fans probably would prefer to see St. Juice just because he's younger and he's a prospect they've drafted, as opposed to Fuller, who's older and, and getting on and, and has a bigger cap hit and they could save some cap in in that regard. But but Fuller is, is still a better player in my eyes, certainly in this scheme. Um, and um, St. Juice still has some work to do, um, some growth to do, which which he can do and he can become a good player still. But I think Forbes probably leapfrogs him and St. Juice probably drops to the to the bench for now. Yeah, that'll be interesting uh, to see that just within the three of them. But OK, so day one, they make that pick. And we're all like sort of having that conversation we just had. And there's a need like the one the one reason that cornerback to me was a big need was it was the only position on either side of the ball. They were like, who is the fifth defensive back? They play sub package all the time. I, no fifth defensive back. I was and I remember some point during this offseason, Rivera mentioned Percy Butler and seemed to suggest he was probably not that guy, at least not yet. So I was like, OK, they got to get somebody. Now they did that. Except that now we get to day two. And the first pick is. Quan Martin, a nickel back from Illinois with sort of a safety standard position, but a nickel back looks like is how they're going to envision him, which is great. And look, let's just be clear on this. Depth is important, not just because of the injury factor. And even just last year where, of course, right, Cam Curl and St. Juice each missed five games. So you always got to have options. Get that. Um, and in the, this this era of the NFL, where it's, you, know, you got to have five defensive backs, it feels like on the field, I like got a minimum, and they use six sometimes. And the, this group has not been afraid to use three safeties, so all that is reasonable. But I always still like to look at it as, okay, you got here's the drive. You're gonna have to stop this opponent who's out there on the field. And when you draft this nickelback, having just taken the outside corner, I start to wonder. Well, wait a minute. What is this? What what is the ultimate? fit here i want to ask you about martin and what you thought of him in a second but this is where i think it gets interesting is like what happens here with these guys and you know again you can you, now they can use three corners and three safeties but at some point you have to pick who you are and what are you doing and i think that's going to be interesting to see um to that extent like you said maybe forbes jump saint juice as the thing does it possibly become forbes jump saint juice and then martin if he's able to you know, adjust the NFL quickly, becomes the fifth defensive back even more so because he is that guy in, in, in the nickel uh, situation. I, I think that is ultimately the way they'll go. Um, I, I think they they really, well, obviously they relied on that whole Buffalo nickel thing that they, they like to call it, um, where either sometimes it was Cam Curl, sometimes it was uh, you know Bobby McCain finished there last year, um, and it was essentially just a slot corner but a safety playing it, and um, I think that's exactly what Martin is, and that's exactly what he did in in college for the most part. He played some deep safety. Um, he's a really, really versatile player that that on any given play he could line up all over the place. But a, a lot of the play, a lot of the time, he ended up in the slot. And he's a he's a superb athlete, so he can he can hang around in the slot. But he can also like there there was a play I, I tweeted out earlier today, or whenever this goes up Sunday, whenever this goes up, um, where he motion his versatility helps him disguise coverages and he lined up in the slot with a slot receiver that receiver went in motion and he followed him across the formation which normally would indicate kind of man coverage to the quarterback but then at the snap of the ball he went from in the slot all the way back to a deep half and in, in this kind of disguised tampa two coverage and and that's the kind of versatility that he has because he has some experience playing safety he but he can also line up in the slot and, and is a legit slot defender so 
I think they, they see him as that kind of nickel or buffalo nickel, the kind of hybrid of that, the, the kind of almost the perfect fit for that because he he can stay as a slot corner and he can he can stand up as a slot corner against slot receivers better than probably any of their other safeties could. Um, but he's also still enough of a safety that he can kind of work against bigger body tight ends uh, if they want him to do that, or he can kind of join the run fit. Um, he's not the best run defender at this point, but he still has kind of more of a safety size than a slot corner size. So he, he should be able to hold up a little bit better. Um, so I, I think that's most likely we'll probably see in my mind, I see the secondary being Fuller and Forbes on the outside, Martin in the slot, either whatever you want to call it, whether you call him the nickel corner or whether you call him the Buffalo nickel. Um, I think it will mostly be the same package kind of merged together now. And then you'll have Cam Curl and, and either Forrest or Butler as the, as the other safeties. So um, that that's how I kind of see it playing out at this point. Yeah, and I'll be curious, like down your road, as you have more time to study uh, Martin, what you think of him. And obviously, if I say, what do you think of him in relation to other options I could have had? I'm not expecting you to go through and study all the defensive backs in this class. But if we're talking about reach, this is two years in a row where like they're some of their top picks. If you if if you take the public boards as gospel, their their view was uh, some of their guys were were were, were ahead of that curve now while like Forbes like our guy Dane Brugler had Forbes 35th on his list and he went 16th Kuiper had him 17th and McShay had him 21 so in general seemed like he was in a reasonable space Martin on the other hand he goes 47 Dane Brugler has him 81 Kuiper has him 67 McShay has him 72 now I do think this is a year in which because this was not considered to be a really good class overall that the eye of the beholder aspect really kicks in here, I think even more so than in other years. So I'm not like completely freaked out by the fact that this guy went maybe a full round, if not more than where the, again, the public view uh, had him. But I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on, especially just in terms of like we're saying, like, you know, how quickly can he adjust to, to playing and, and how, um you know, how comfortable do they feel using him right out of the bat it's you know the one good thing now here is that they've got a bunch of different options you mentioned cam curl Derek Forrest. you know jeremy reeves got some run there towards the end of the year i think danny johnson you know they don't ever seem to want to use him and then whenever they have to he seems to do a pretty credible job so it's not like they're gonna have to force feed either of these rookies to play but it'll be interesting to see how that um works L- let me ask you this you are you know a film guy you're not necessarily a salary cap guru but i don't know if you had the same thought that i did when they took the second round when they took the back-to-back defensive backs you know if you're taking a guy in the second round you're expecting him to play the the one exception might be drafting a quarterback knowing that you have a starter and this person can develop i i think i'll and because like you know they've got to at some point here make some salary cap adjustments whether it's uh restructuring deals with an extension or just flat out releasing players. Kendall Fuller has a contract that you could save some money on if you do this, but you'd also open up a big hole there uh, at corner. So were you, did you have any thought of like, Ooh, wait a minute. Is this some sort of a indication that Fuller could go? Or is like, well, they just need more depth and I'm not going to overthink this. 
uh, I, I think more towards the latter. I, I think I certainly saw a lot of fans thinking that this is spelling the end of, of Kendall Fuller. And, and I can see why, obviously, the cap casualty kind of situation comes into play. But um, for me, he's still their best cornerback. Um, and I know a lot of fans uh, don't love Kendall Fuller. And, and he did give up a few plays. But at the start of the year, everyone was giving up plays. And towards the end of the year, he was... He was definitely their best corner, and he was he was playing really good football, and he's a really good fit for what this scheme is, um, because he 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 reads the, the the game so well from from off and with vision, and and that's the kind of scheme that they're running that they they need those those smarts in the secondary, and I think on top of that, if if you get rid of Kendall Fuller, you're talking about a bunch of young guys on basically rookie contracts in the cornerback room, and, and you've got no real veteran presence there in the safety um, room basically too right i mean n- not just kind of jeremy reeves but i mean he's been more special teams you get bobby mccain's got too so safety is cam curl Derek force and percy butler it, all rookie contracts as well so yeah i mean it would be a super duper young room without the the adult in the room i guess yeah and and i think uh, just on top of that like Obviously, um, I've just said I think he was he was their best corner last year, and he probably still is. Forbes will will push him for that, obviously, and and you hope that Forbes overtakes him. Um, but uh, at this point in time, he's he's still uh, an unknown quantity. So Fuller, I think I think you don't really want to get rid of your best corner. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we like once they once Saint Juice went down, it was Kendall Fuller and a bunch of random guys that they were just picking up trying to get ready to go. And and obviously, you mentioned Danny Johnson; he he stepped up pretty well. Um, he stepped up very well considering the preseason he had, um, which was pretty rough on him. Um, yeah. so like, but other than that, they they had nobody in the secondary. So, um, I always thought that going into this offseason adding a top corner that could compete for a starting job and, and push either Fuller or St. Juice down was an option because that just improves your overall depth. Um, and I think that's what Forbes does. And then obviously Martin, I think in terms of value that certainly a lot of people had him going more in the third round than the second round. I think the secondary in particular, is like safety corner uh, are positions that teams value kind of drastically differently depending on the schemes they run. Um, and I think this plays into why Forbes was so highly rated by Washington because he's a very good zone corner. He he has great instincts. He he reads plays really well from playing off and with vision. Um, and they obviously value that highly because we've just seen how a, a man corner like William Jackson doesn't work well in that system. Um, yeah. So Forbes is going to be valued higher by them. Um, and that's why they took him so highly compared to other teams that you know, they they want a big physical guy that can press at the line of scrimmage. That's not really Forbes' game, so they value him lower. And I think in terms of Martin, I think he's a guy that fits that that Buffalo nickel role and and kind of weaves the two different schemes together. Like we we've seen them living in a few years ago, they were living in nickel all the time, and then they didn't really have a slot corner, so they moved to this Buffalo nickel with three safeties, and they liked that because of the stability it gave them against the run, but also the coverage aspect of it by having five dbs on the field rather than an extra linebacker and i think what martin does is he kind of weaves those both both those kind of a nickel and a buffalo nickel together and gives them one package that they can live out of so um that obviously is more valuable to them than it would be to other teams that either they already have a slot or they already have the safety and and they viewed him as is one of the other where as washington will view him as a guy that can play both the roles um and and so i think the value for them is 
is a little bit higher. I think they probably, in my eyes at least, I think they were probably a little bit gutted that the Jaguars, I think it was the Jags, traded up two picks above them and, and took Brian Branch, who would have filled that role well as well. Um, but I, I think they're pretty happy with Martin, and, and, and maybe they did reach a little bit for him, but he was probably the next best guy after Branch for the, that kind of role. And and it was something they, they needed on their defense. It's something they didn't have anyone that was an obvious fit other than Cam Curl, who... You know they 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 like more at strong safety because he he's good there and and he's kind of filling eight different roles on the defense at any given time. So this this move helps take some pressure off of him as well. Yeah, you mentioned Brian Branch. Um, so as I said, I asked Twitter for some questions. I don't know if you guys can hear Lenny. He's been screaming at me for the last minute or two here. I think he's reminding me that hey, you ask questions and you maybe you should answer some of them. <laughs> so uh, at U D A P U S E whatever that means, on Twitter, uh, asked, do you think that the commanders would have taken Broderick Jones in the first if the Steelers didn't leap them, and Brian Branch in the second if the same thing there? Um, I think Branch is definitely interesting. I mean, I'd heard that they were that they were interested in him, and, you know, he went – his range was sort of a tough one to figure out because, like, positionally it's not valued to be a high pick, but, like, I heard so many people say he may have been the best just pure football player for them in this class, but just the, you know, the athleticism and the position role just devalue him. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but it would not stun me at all. If that was something they intended uh, in terms of, but just for, we'll get to the offensive line here a sec, but in terms of Broderick Jones, that move was to jump the jets. I don't think he was getting past the jets at 15, that move for the Pittsburgh was that. So um, if Jones had somehow made it to Washington, I think that's a big question is would they, did they prioritize Forbes so much that they would have bypassed offensive line, which I wouldn't have said would have been terrible. I, I just, for me personally, if it was if I have to make the tiebreaker, I was going offensive line, especially since there was good cornerback depth in this class, as evidenced by the fact of who was on the board in round two, and there weren't a lot of tackles um, available. But let's get to the offensive line, guys. And let, let me just also say, just to go back to the fuller thing, and then I'll connect this. I probably got, I'll admit, I probably got a little too over my skis uh, when they took the back-to-back defensive backs because it was a little surprising to me, especially because I like some of the offensive linemen that were there. And knowing about the whole cap hit situation, I was like, oh, boy, is this something for Kendall Fuller? Ignoring my own instincts of, well, wait a minute, they they can't get rid of him. He's their best guy and all the things you just said about experience. So that said, when you look at the offensive line, this could be an area where – some guys are cut. They did, of course, in back-to-back picks take Arkansas center Ricky Stromberg in the third, and then Utah guard tackle Braden Daniels in the fourth. And so um, I got a question here from Spoop. Spoop? Um, basically, uh, basically, who's the more likely or cap cut, Fuller or Chase Ruye? It's really not a debate. It's, it, it would be Chase Ruye, and I think that was already a big question about is there any room to keep him? If you keep if you cut Chase Ruye now, let's just say it's uh you save a little over four million dollars towards the cap with like a roughly eight million dollar hit. If you wait till after June one, it kind of flips and goes the other way. I would be I was already going to be surprised if somehow Ruye stuck around because they you know with Nick Gates and Tyler Larson, they at least had some options. Now you draft Ricky Stromberg, who was the third-rated center for, for, for Dane Brugler, 
Uh, I'll get your view based on whatever you've seen so far of him as well. I I, I would be surprised, I guess, at this point, if Chase Rie is not uh, a cap casualty. Yeah, I, I would imagine he is a cap casualty, um, which is a shame because he's a very good player and healthy. He's just had, had back-to-back years where he's gotten hurt and, and pretty significant injuries at that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would imagine that there's no way they they they'd be able to keep him, and and there would it would make all their other moves not really make sense if they, if their plan was to keep him because obviously they went and signed Gates, who yes he could play guard, but when you watched him at guard compared to watching him at center, he he was he, it wasn't just he was a better center, he was significantly better at center and and had struggles at guard. So and and to that point, sorry, uh, for people who didn't watch the live stream, I don't even know what it was what it was shown. But Rivera was asked after Stromberg about the center competition. Could he start? And the, the, I think the, the question was something like, is Nick Gates an option to maybe play guard and Rivera? I don't think he spoke. I think he just shook his head kind of like, no. So it's like Nick Gates to me would be the, the odds on favorite to be the starting center. And then you have Larson. And now you just drafted this kid. That's where it becomes, well, uh, you know, Stromberg can, can in theory play some guard too, but yeah, it becomes more less likely now, and et cetera. But anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, I I think um, just as you said that that with they obviously they they signed Gates to be their center. They they brought back Tyler Larson. If they didn't bring back Larson, you could say, well, they've got Stromberg and and as as a kind of backup, a young developmental guy that they can they can have behind Rudier and, and Gates. But but with Larson in there, that they deliberately made a move of bringing him back. Uh, and and then going to sign Gates, that's two. That's your top two centers. And then Stromberg, for me, um, watching him, like I, I really like the player. I really like the prospect. I, I think, I, I think he could be kind of similar situation to what Chris Paul is, the guard right now, where he doesn't really contribute in his rookie year. I don't think he's quite ready to play his rookie year. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think he has some things to work on. But um, you can see his he has this knack for kind of he's not like this amazing athlete that can reach tons and tons of blocks that you don't expect. He's not Jason Kelsey in that regard, but he does have this knack for being able to reach the defender in front of him. And, and he has this amazing ability to keep himself in the right sort of kind of position to angle off defenders and, and get himself, get himself in front of them and seal them off to, to create rushing lanes. And that's a really, really good trait, especially in this offense um, that, that the enemy is likely to run. Um, and that's something that Creed Humphreys did really well, and, and that brought the Chiefs a lot of success. So um, I can see Stromberg being a really good fit for this system a year or two down the line, but I, I don't know, necessarily know if he's there yet. Um, but I, I don't think he has to be. I think that like they, they signed Gates, and Gates is going to be their, their center. Um, so he can be kind of a backup at this point and, and, and learn the ropes, and I think that's fine. And I, I really like him as a as a prospect is kind of going to be, he's going to be their center of the future. He's just not there yet. Do you know who uh, Doug Benson is? The comedian? Probably not. He's not like that famous. No. All right, you need to go, go, go look up some pictures of him. Mark for you. You guys can't say it. Mark has grown a mustache a little bit since we saw him last <laughs> over here. I don't know how long you've had this for. It's a little bit of a mustache and you look like this Doug Benson guy for depending on what year of him, at least to me, he does. Um, maybe Mark will post a picture. Maybe he won't. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want. Maybe he doesn't want I me. Almost certainly it, won't. But no, it's fine. It's um, I just haven't shaved because it's been a long week. Oh, <laughs> I mean, tr- trust me. I I keep whatever facial hair I have on large because it's, it's it's easier than it's easier to shave once a week or whenever versus all the time. I'm not yep. a fan anymore. Okay, that said, uh, I was just being distracted in my own brain. <laughs> um, let me get to a different guy. Uh, the, the other. So the one spot 
like I said, independent of what they did in the draft, we, we can you know debate the upside and the potential of this line or whatever. But okay, at tackle you have Charles Leno. They get they draft they sign Andrew Wiley, and you still have Cornelius Lucas. Okay, they're largely good at tackle. At guard, they're moving Sam Cosby inside. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. But that's a position where a lot of people think he may ultimately be best at. And as we said at center, between Gates and Larson, at a minimum, they had two guys that you could say, okay, we have a center combination. The left guard spot, though, is the one where it's like, what's going on here? When when we were at the owners' meeting and Rivera describes it as a battle between Chris Paul and Sadiq Charles, forgetting that Andrew Norwell is still on the team and started last year, seemed somewhat telling about where they think of Andrew Norwell. Um, have you just yes or no? Have you already looked at Braden Daniels, the, the fourth round pick? Yeah, okay. I've done a, I've done a game or two. Okay, so let me ask you then this: You've got Chris Paul, who has played started one game in the NFL, seventh round pick. You've got Sadiq Charles, who they have been trying to get, to basically get him to be worthy of starting, and it for a variety of reasons has not worked, mostly injuries, but just has not progressed. Now they add Braden Daniels, another one of these position flexibility guys that Rivera loves. Um, we'll see. He had a really good college, uh, come out of a really good college season, but, you know, we'll see. I'm curious what you think of him. And then you have Norwell, who, look, obviously the guard play last year was not great, but Norwell, I think to a degree, was maybe I, – I don't want this to come out across as me endorsing him and that he should stay or anything. I'm just saying, like, he wasn't as horrendous as, like, sort of was made, made out to be. But he's also older, slower, not able to get to the second level of defenders as well. If we put the salary cap aspect to the side, and I said to you, these are your four options. And again, you're only just sort of catching up to Daniels. These are your four options. Would you? What would you want them to see them do as the starting guard uh, for this team next year? So I, th- I think in an ideal world, they would have been able to land one of those top tackles and move Wiley to left guard. Or actually, or Cosme the left guard yeah. and Wiley the right guard. Um, but um, and and maybe that's where they think Braden Daniels could slot in at, at right tackle. Uh, I I kind of feel not too dissimilar to with Daniels that I do with Stromberg in that I really like the prospect he is and I think he has huge athletic upside. He has really really quick feet, um, but he doesn't really quite know how to use those feet to his full potential yet um and so he can end up kind of lunging at guys and reaching for guys he's a little bit of a waist bender and he doesn't need to be because he has such quick feet he should be able to keep his feet under him um but you know he he once he learns the the right technique he's got athleticism that you just can't really teach um and so maybe they think that he can he can be a guy that they could slot in at, at right tackle he doesn't have the immediate pressure of being like the left tackle that has to go against the best guys, even though most teams have two good guys and and often rush their best guy off the right side. But um, maybe he can slot in a little bit under the radar at right tackle. Um, And, and then maybe Wiley, as you mentioned, Wiley can kick into right guard and Cosme to the left. Um, And then that would give them an extremely athletic profile of offensive line, um, which, which would fit what the enemy wants to do. Um, but I, I think the most likely option is probably Chris Paul at left guard um, because we heard all of last year, Ron Rivera basically bigged him up constantly, even though he wasn't playing. They were saying in practice and stuff, people just couldn't get by him and, and 
he's this superb athlete. And and we saw the the one game he had against the Cowboys at the end of the year. I mean, it was enough for, for them to commit to Sam Howell. So why is it not enough for them to commit to Chris Paul at left guard, I guess? Um I thought he was he was pretty solid at left guard. He he showed off the the athletic ability, the ability to to climb on those outside zones and, and reach linebackers at the next level. And um he, he could anchor in the in pass protection and and he he didn't look too out of place. So uh, my guess it would be Chris Paul at that left guard spot um, and, and Cosme at the right side um, and then Andrew Wiley outside. But as I say, that the only thing that would possibly change that to me is if if they really like Braden Daniels and they think he can, if they think he's ready more than I think he's ready, um, then possibly they, they slot him in on the right side um, or maybe even Cornelius Lucas. Um, but that's not a route I would go probably. Um, and then kick widely inside the guard and, and cause me place left guard. Yeah. I, I think Cornelius Lucas is ultimately best served as break in case of emergency rather than this is the plan, but at least we know when he has to play that he, that he could play um, back to the, to the questions at Brian underscore Johnson asked about, do we, do we think they have done enough to address the offensive line? And he mentioned some of the guys they just picked up, which leads into a different question from oh boy uh i too many too many letters here but somebody asked me a question what position or specific player will they target in the second round of free agency and this is of course an important note that the roster building is not over yet they're going to probably look to see what's out there in the in the secondary free agent market we obviously in the past they signed charles leno in this scenario they signed bobby mccain as well so we'll see what happens here um but here's the question, I guess. I always like to look at this. You can always, of course, go out and sign somebody and just decide, hey, maybe there's a player or two on this roster that we're we're willing to, to to cut. But in terms of like right now, who would make the team? I'm going to assume that Chase Ruiz and Andrew Norwell get released at some point. Here's what they then have. Charles Leno, Sam Cosme, Andrew Wiley, Cornelius Lucas, that's four. Nick Gates is five. Um, these two draft picks, Daniels and Stromberg, that gets us up to seven. Chris Paul, I'm assuming, is going to make the team at a minimum. That's eight. Tyler Larson would be nine. Then you have, uh, they signed as a free agent, Trent Scott, who was with Pittsburgh last year. You know, sort of, a, I'm not saying as a camp fodder, but, you know, just depth. We'll see, you know, sort of in that West Martin-y you know, yeah, can play if you need to, but we'll, we'll, you know, you're not you're not going out of your way for it. And then, um, I don't know. I think that might be it. So you sort of have nine already, and I've already released the two guys who would be the most likely salary cap casualties. So I guess my point would be, I think that you could still go sign somebody, and you could get as late to training camp and sign somebody if you just think, boy, really or not, you know, the Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul thing is just not where we need it to be, but I kind of think right now they're probably okay. I mean, they may add some people undrafted free agents or whatever for depth, but in terms of like actual rotation guys, I would imagine they're going to think they have enough right now. Yeah. I would think they, I think if they had to play today, um, they they could field a, a, a passable offensive line um, and, and feel okay about the, the depth that they have behind it. Um, I think if there was someone like a Charles Leno that gets released in after the draft, then a, a, a right tackle maybe, or even a left guard, 
then yeah, you you maybe go and get them and then you cut someone else um, if you have the cap room. But I suspect, as we talked about with the with the moves with Rudier and, and Norwell, I, I think they will create some cap room. And, and my guess is that's an ownership situation thing that why they haven't done that already. But um, once those once those moves kind of get made, um, maybe someone like a I, I I don't know any names that would be cut necessarily, but as I say, a right tackle that in that kind of Leno fashion that could hold down the spot for a year, maybe you go and grab them. Um, and if if they work, then great. Then you've you've kind of let a guy like Braden Daniels learn. You've you've moved widely inside to guard, and and you've shored up the inside as well. Um, and if not, then I, I think you you're okay with the kind of guys you've got. Like if if Chris Paul is your left guard. You've got Gates at center, Cosme at right guard, and, and Andrew Wiley at right tackle. You've got a, a really athletic profile of linemen, and Leno at left tackle is the only one that's kind of the odd man out there. Um, and, and then you've got, like, Sadiq Charles isn't a bad athlete at, at left guard um, as a backup, um, and Larson isn't terrible, Stromberg isn't terrible, um, and Braden Daniels is a superb athlete. Um, and so that they've got this kind of they've now made an offensive line where they've got a profile of these athletic linemen that can move. Um, they can block in space. They can climb up to the second level. They can get out and on screens and stuff. And that's what they need for this system. So um, kind of similar to what they've done in the secondary where they've with, with Forbes and Martin, where they've gone, we need a, a zone corner rather than a press man corner. They went and drafted Forbes. They, they, we need a Buffalo nickel guy that, they can play the nickel and and still be a safety hybrid kind of guy. They went and got Martin, uh, and now they've they've kind of gone right. Well, we need athletic linemen. We don't necessarily care if a guy is a, a definite tackle or a definite guard. We like the position flex, but we know we want an athletic profile, and that's the kind of guys they went and got. So, I, I think they, if they had to play a game tomorrow, I, I think they would probably be okay with the guys that they have. It's not like they're not the Philadelphia Eagles they, they they don't have an offensive line that they're going to run they could easily run the ball 30 times for 300 yards um but it's still a, a, a an okay offensive line yeah i mean i think that Rivera made this point over and over again leading into the draft that they think in free agency they did enough so that they're not uh going shopping while starving which is fine but i that's why i still kept pushing for the offensive tackle at 16 because I still don't see much upside with that group. I mean, maybe it's better assuming they stay healthy, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's like going to massively improve the situation, but time will tell on that one. Um, I've already kept Mark way too long. So let me just get to one more thing. If you want to, I'll sort of skip for the, the final three draft picks, the two edge rushers are running back Chris Rodriguez, but no doubt Mark will have a lot of uh, good insight into what they do on his sub stack. But let me ask you this, something they didn't do. They did not draft a linebacker, which I, I know a lot of people were pressing for them to take one early. One, this was not a, a draft loaded with top shelf linebackers. And two, look, I mean, they just don't emphasize this position much. They're really building two at the most. They signed Cody Barton. They have Jamin Davis. We'll have plenty of time to discuss if that's enough or if there's if that's not good. And then all their backups, it's basically the same guys they had last year. Your David Mayo's and your colleague Hudson's. Um, so uh, at, at report Warpath, please give us fans hope that they are planning to sign a linebacker. Uh, at Wash or WSH Sports Fan uh, asked, "What's their plan with off-ball linebacker? Looks like they just plan to have Davis with no backup plan. Pretty thin group. Um, 
I don't know what what's your view there? Did you think that Kalik Hudson, like for example, had a really fun last game? I don't know if that's enough to say. Well, he's clearly turned the corner, or if there's somebody else. Are you? I I, I still feel slightly uncomfortable that there's not a an obvious guy to fill in if something were to happen to the first two. But nonetheless, I I can't. I'm not gonna. I mean. They could have taken one in the seventh round, but like, what does that mean? So, what, what, where are you at with that linebacker room with 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 what they had with Davis and Barton, and then that they didn't add anybody else? Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of a sign of the modern NFL where the linebacker position is it's not quite running back level where it's devalued that significantly, but it's also it's not what it once was. Um, and the there's a reason the Lions are getting a lot of stick from everyone at the moment about drafting a linebacker 18 and, and he was probably the the one standout linebacker in this class but um it's still it's a position that in the modern nfl unless it's a luke keekley type it's you're looking at uh, kind of jamie davis guys and and the like jamie davis is fine for that <laughs> cody barton's fine for that Cole Holcomb would have been fine if they brought him back but obviously cody barton was a lot cheaper and that's the the decision they made and that's that's fine um and and yeah it is a little bit thin but it's also a position that they're they've pretty much for the past two years lived out of nickel or buffalo nickel um and and they've got a, a safety in cam curl that can effectively become a linebacker on any given down if, if they get if they get an injury to jamin davis for a series um then cam curl could easily drop down and they've got the safety depth to to kind of replace him at strong safety and let cam curl play as a kind of a dime linebacker um and and Juan Martin is that Buffalo nickel that they can kind of fill in in as the kind of hybrid third third linebacker slot corner safety guy um so I I think what they did was prioritize secondary and prioritize coverage rather than um run defense they they trust their defensive line um and, and they now trust they now should trust their secondary um and and those are the two more important features of a defense is is what they can do up front and what they can do on the back end. And the guys in the middle are kind of just whatever you have. And, and it's not like they, they don't have anything there. Like Jamin Davis was a first round pick a few years ago. So it, it's not like they've got nothing. Um, they, they should expect a lot out of him and they should expect him to take another step forward. And, and Cody Barton's a fantastic athlete. Um, and, and he played in a Seahawks defense that, you know, the, the defensive line wasn't as good as what he's going to have here in Washington. So that there's reason to believe he could, improve um and behind him like david mayo i know fans hate him um but he's fine as a backup he, he's he he's a reliable run defender obviously you don't want him getting split out on a saquon barkley he's not going to do that but that's just you'd say the same about you know a lot of linebackers in the nfl you don't want them split out on a running back like that so um i i, I yeah, maybe it's it's one of those things where if a guy that you're not expecting gets cut after the maybe the Lions drafted their because they drafted their first round linebacker, they go, okay, we're going to cut someone else, a veteran, and, and we can bring him in. Sure, but I don't think it's 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 clearly not a position they've prioritized other than that first round pick in Jamie Davis. Um, and uh, I I don't see any reason why they would reverse that. They they, they clearly prioritize first the defensive line and, and now the secondary. Yeah, and I would just say, like, I, I they were looking at certain linebackers. I think some of them may have just gone off the board before they could could pick. But you know, ultimately, they chose to emphasize other areas. And I think you know, I, I'm not going to knock them for emphasizing defensive the defensive backfield and the offensive line over the linebacker. And like, you know, again, 
taking a linebacker in round six or seven, sure. But like that's what I mean. That's not necessarily anything better than what they already had, and maybe it's a sign that they didn't force the issue. That they actually believe that some of their younger guys will be able to, um, you know, Scooter Harris or whomever it is, be able to, to step up. Um, we will see. All right, look, there, there, there's no debate though that you need to go follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. Go check him out. Mark Bullock at dot substack dot com. No doubt he's going to have uh, all kinds of film analysis of these players, including the three guys at the back end that we didn't uh, get to. Uh, Mark, uh, fantastic job as always. Uh, you remain very high on the favorite guest list. You know, I don't want to. I can't reveal my official draft board because you know it's proprietary information. I don't want anybody else to get. I, you know, I don't want anybody else get stealing my, uh, my 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 thoughts. But you know, you're high on the list. That's all you need to know. Um, my guy, I appreciate it as always. Good, good catching up, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again uh, as we get deeper into this uh, off season. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Ben. All right, thanks to Mark Bullock for his time, and of course, thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast, checking out my work on the Athletic, following me on Twitter at Ben Standig, and just uh, being along for the ride. Uh, always a hoot talking draft. Um, we'll still talk about it in the rear view and what it means going forward, but another year of the NFL draft is in the books. That is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. 